Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season four, episode six. Today, we have a comeback. We have Sheila Walsh on the podcast today. She was on season one, episode nine, where we talked about mental health and how she had like a very public breakdown, ended up in a psychiatric institution for a short period of time. And we got really real and honest with her. So she's back today. And we're going to talk about prayer. What do you even pray when you have no idea what to pray or when life is crazy? So can't wait to get into the episode, but want to remind you again about the Digital Church Facebook group that I started. It's for leaders and it's for people like you. If you like this podcast, you're going to love the Facebook group as a place to connect with others who are thinking and talking about these issues on digital and the church. And I hope it's a place that you can learn, where you can share your own knowledge. Uh, And really, it's becoming a global community. So I would love for you to be part of it. Thanks also to, of course, partners and sponsors who make this podcast possible, to Compassion Canada. Uh, They're working really hard right now as an organization in this unprecedented COVID-19 pandemic response in the global world. Of course, COVID-19 is trying to really separate us, to tear us apart, keep us away from one another. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be successful. Your gift to Compassion's Disaster Relief Fund is going to be able to help vulnerable children and families survive in this crisis. You know, imagine if you don't even have um, basic access to hygiene supplies, to food, maybe you've lost your job and have no government support, no housing security, all as a result of the pandemic. Well, Compassion has been in these communities already working all over the world and uh, they're there right now and they're going to be there in the future and that's why I love that partnering with Compassion for the global response to COVID-19 makes so much sense because they're not just coming in and leaving they're there for the long term Uh, so I want you to go to compassion.ca slash COVID-19 and uh, sorry compassion.ca slash COVID the link's right down below and uh, I want you to check out what is possible for ways you can get involved the small donation can go so far uh, and I would encourage you to do so of course thanks also to Wycliffe College they're an evangelical graduate school of theology at the University of Toronto. They have master's programs, they have certificates, they have doctoral studies, uh, and it's so affordable. If you're looking to get theological education, uh, it's one of the most affordable schools, but it's also one of the top ranked theological schools in North America and also in the world. It's up there with places like Yale and Princeton on the list of top schools to study theology. So consider Wycliffe College. I went there myself. If you want to know more about why I went there, why I chose the school and the kinds of programs they offer, go to wycliffecollege.ca slash wordmedigital. The link's down in the show notes and you can see more about why I chose it and see if it's a good fit for you. Maybe even this fall you want to jump in on a course. Okay, Sheila Walsh, our guest today. She's an author, she's a TV host, she's a communicator, and she's got this great Scottish accent because she's Scottish born and now she lives for much of her adult life in America and now she's in Texas with her family. She has spoken around the world to like 6 million women and she has a television show that reaches about 100 million people a day. She has books that have sold over 5 million copies and today we're talking about prayer. We're talking about what to pray when you don't know what to pray, uh, how to pray and be real in that. I know a lot of us struggle with prayer and it's one of we're we're a podcast for creatives and communicators and yet even as communicators we can struggle communicating with God so I think you're gonna love this again another honest conversation with Sheila I wanted to have her back because um, she's just that kind of a communicator honest authentic real and wise so you're gonna enjoy this conversation let's dive in welcome to the word made digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur you're listening to season four Sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Walsh, welcome back to Word Made Digital. I'm so glad to have you today. I'm so glad to be here, and I love your hair. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, it's purple. It's, I don't know. I know, it's, it's cool. It's sort of a grayish purple today. You know, we're all staying at home, so nothing matters. Might as well have purple <laughs> so hair. So true. <laughs> 
I just have roots. I look like a skunk. Oh, you know, well, that's what a lot of people are. Of course, they're going online and they're they're trying to home home uh, training on YouTube videos of how to cut their own hair, color their hair. <laughs> are you have you what tried a disaster? <laughs> no, I just have the spray. L'Oreal does the spray because I've got so much gray now that if you know, I have my hair colored every three weeks. So having been home now for like four, almost five weeks, I just, I only spray this one strip because I think nobody can see anything else. <laughs> you know what? But, but the truth is gray is in. Oh, it I is? Mean, it's fashionable. Well, that's true, actually. Yeah. It's a new trend. So yeah, I might ditch the spray. Hair. Yeah, even my own hair has this sort of gray purple hinge because apparently it's a la mode. Yeah, you're set. You're a trendsetter, Joanna. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but before we go any farther into you know talking about hair, why don't we? Why don't you tell everyone who are you? You've been on the podcast before, um, yes. which is unusual for me to have someone back, but I wanted you back because of the impact you'd made the first round on people. And so, um, tell us who you are for those who didn't catch um, catch your content before this. Sure. Um, I live in Dallas, Texas now, but I was born uh, in a small west coast town in Scotland, went to seminary in London, um, worked with the BBC in London, hosting a live rock show for about four, four years. And I came to North America, worked a lot with Billy Graham. In fact, I actually got my job in uh, on a show called The 700 Club when I was up in Canada. I was on a show called 100 Huntley Street and someone saw me and said, you know, we're looking for a new co-host. What about this woman with a funny accent? <laughs> so I did that for about five years. And um, I've been married now for 26 years with my husband, Barry. We have one son, Christian, who's 23 and who is in graduate school in Houston, Texas. Okay, and we have now, two dogs. Now, right now, at this moment, are you all home together, all three of you? No. <laughs> it's so hard because he's in yeah. Houston and he's having to okay. self-isolate. Um, okay. So he's just there with his yeah. cat. His cat. So um, we're trying to work out there was, if he could come home and then self-isolate downstairs for a couple mm-hmm. weeks. So we're just trying to because it, it's just like it feels like as a mom. Because my son, he is similar to me. He struggles with depression and some anxiety. And I just hate the thought of him being by himself, you know. Yeah. So, so we FaceTime yeah. every day. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. But yeah, well, sometimes well, I mean the I mean it's a difficult time for everyone, which is really why we wanted to talk about your latest book called Praying Women. Praying Women, I should say, Praying Women. And um let's let's start there. Like how how are you doing? How's your family doing in light of uh all that's going on? You know, mental health is a huge issue for so many of us. How is that going? Yeah. And and from there, then we'll see, you know, how can we, how can we give some advice to others? You know, it's interesting, John. It really, it differs from day to day. There are some days when uh, I feel like, you know, I'm doing well. I'm kind of thinking, yeah, it's hard, but we'll make it through this. And then there's nights like last night where I'm watching my local news and they're telling these stories of husbands and wives who've been separated by this virus and, and, losing loved ones and not being able to say goodbye. And I don't even know what to do with that kind of, it seems it's, I know people say these are unprecedented times, but they're just, it's so foreign Mm. to not be able to be with the people that you love. So yeah, I'm I'm learning new habits in, in this time. Sometimes my prayers are really, really short. You know, there's days when I just be like, father, help us. You know, when I don't have lofty words, it's simply a cry. And some days it's a lament. That's why I love the Psalms. You know, I really believe that God gave the Psalms to the people of God so that they could pray them back to God. So I just, I have a habit. I read a Psalm out loud every single day. Oh, do you? And out loud. You, I love that. Out loud. Yeah, because I think that's how the children of Israel used the Psalms. They were used many times communally, but they were usually out loud. And I've discovered there's something about my ears hearing what my mouth is saying and what my eyes are reading that I just, I I don't know, it feels so much more grounded to me. And the Psalms don't cover up the pain of life. You know, they're very honest. They're very real. So whatever you're walking through, even at this moment, you will find a Psalm that gives words to what you're feeling. Hmm. Well, and it's so true. The Psalms 
are, are one of these things that we can go back to in every season of life. I think just as you, you know, the news continues to say how unprecedented these times are for us that no one really not, there's not really almost anyone living today who has gone through something like this. Uh, and you know, and really the whole world on such a mass scale, it's been a long time. And so, uh, we need others words because we just don't have them. Um, ourselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do you think the significance is of this, as you say them out loud? Like, are you, I'm imagining, like, are you standing up? Do you use your arms? Or are you getting your whole self involved? Like, what does that look like for you? That's actually a great question. I have started just in the last two weeks to pray out loud with my, with my arms outstretched to heaven. And it's almost like an acknowledgement of my own vulnerability. You know, when our son was little, he traveled with me everywhere I went with my husband and I for the first eight years before he joined like a football team and wanted to be home. But he was, you know, he'd be really independent. He's marching through the airport with this wee backpack and then he'd get tired and he would just, he wouldn't even say anything. He would just lift up his arms and I immediately picked him up and held him. And that's how I feel in these days. It's like, I just feel every morning I'm so aware of not knowing what's going on. And so, yeah, I just lift my arms up and and it's almost like this cry of Abba, Father, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the only time, the one time, Paul uses it twice, but Jesus only once uses the term Abba, Daddy. And it's when he's at his most vulnerable in the Garden of Gethsemane that that's the word he uses. Mm-hmm. And so it just seems appropriate at the moment when we feel vulnerable and unsure, not just to raise our voices, but to raise our arms. Yeah. Well, I think that something that maybe has been lost in a lot of Christian traditions is the use of our bodies to express in agreement with what we're saying or what we're thinking. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I think everyone has different opinions on things like yoga, for example. So I'm not here to, to go too far into that, but, but what I think something like that can teach us about other traditions, spiritual traditions is that your body is engaged um, right. with what you're trying to do in your prayer or your chanting or whatever. And, and I mean, I just think that's something that probably we should do more. We don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, that there's something I, about using our bodies in prayer that can be very powerful to have our body and mind and spirit agree. So I love that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And there's also something, you know, when I mention the word meditation in some circles, people are like, ooh, we don't do that. You know, that's an Eastern practice. No, it's not. That is an absolute biblical practice. And so for me, like like this morning, it was Psalm 27. So I just took Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hmm. And I just sat with that one verse for a while and, you know, repeated it over and over and, and asked God to speak to me. And it's, it's for me, take the time to really reflect and be quiet. I, my husband and I recently made this huge investment of like 70 bucks. We bought these two kind of chairs that we put out on our little balcony. And there's just something for me. I'll go out in the morning and with my cup of coffee, my Bible and a notebook And I'll just sit there. And for quite a while, I I don't say anything. I just am aware of being in the Lord's presence. Mm. And that was one of the things that became clear to me when I was writing. God is not looking for perfect people or perfect words. He just welcomes our presence. Mm. Now, I mean, you didn't know when you wrote this book what the world would look like in 2020. We didn't even know two months ago. We couldn't have known. So at the time of writing this book, I mean, the process of writing to publishing is a long, you know, it take, could take two years or however long it took in this case. But what was the impetus or the thing that said this book in this moment? Well, you know, it's interesting because I actually didn't intend to publish this book. It was something that I began from my own, just my own personal life, because I've always felt that prayer is, you know, that kind of my weakness. Uh, I love to study God's word, love to teach, but I've always felt like prayer is something that I struggle with. So I just began to study, like, not just, you know, what does the Bible say about prayer, but going as far back as I could in church history, you know, what is our common experience of prayer? And then I decided one day just to throw out on my Facebook page. And I just said, okay, okay, guys, um, when I say prayer to you, 
what comes to your mind? Like, what do you, and don't feel like you have to say the right thing. Say what you really feel. And it was really interesting because it was things like, well, I get distracted. You know, I'm praying and then I'm thinking, did I defrost the chicken? Or I feel like I'm just repeating the same things over and over again. Or, um, but then some of them were more, felt weightier. You know, I prayed before for my marriage to survive and it didn't. So why pray? Or if God already knows what he's going to do, why bother prayer? praying, began to see that it wasn't just me who had questions about prayer or struggles with prayer. So I thought, you know what, I, so I spent two years writing, just trying to reframe and, and dig as deep as I could to find out, you know, what is this all about? And so then it resulted in not just something for yourself, but really something for the world, <laughs> something as a gift to us uh, that you decided that would be in a book. You know, there's this quote that you use because I always, anyone who listens to this podcast regularly will say, oh, she's always quoting C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I love C.S. Lewis. And there's this, there's this quote that you have from the magician's nephew. And I want to read it um, because it kind of touches on what you've just said. And it, and it resonates so deeply with me and has since I was a little girl from this story from the Narnia series. So the magician's nephew, it says, one of the characters, and, and if people don't know, Aslan is a lion who is a representative of Jesus in the thing. So he says, well, I do think someone might have arranged about our meals, says Diggory. I'm sure Aslan would have if you'd asked him, said Fledge. Wouldn't he know without being asked, said Polly. I no doubt he would, said the horse, but I'm, I have a sort of idea he likes to be asked. I have a sort of idea he likes to be asked. So let's talk about that because that is that feeling of like, what is the point of praying? It's already hard, (laughs) but doesn't he already know? Doesn't he already know? Like, why do we have to tell him the thing we need or want or hope for? Doesn't he already know what we need? It says he he does, right? It does. But I think there's something about prayer that's that we don't always get. One of the things I saw as I began is in the Psalms, David talks about it, but it's also in the revelation given to John on the Isle of Patmos, is that God's chosen fragrance in heaven is prayer. I mean, it could have been church attendance, Bible study, whatever, but the chosen fragrance, it talks about these great bowls of incense being held up before God and they're the prayers of his people. So God has chosen to surround himself with the aroma of of our prayers. And I also think, you know, it talks about, you know, Christ had 30 years of living and then three years of ministry. Then this one devastating act of dying and being raised again from the dead. But from that moment on, once he ascended, he has been praying for us. Now, if Christ and the Holy Spirit both are interceding, I think it's almost like we're joining the conversation in heaven. You know, we're just, we're joining in. It's like, yes, and amen to what he just said, and and adding our own words. I don't think, I mean, I saw in my own life, when I was growing up in our small church in Scotland, my mom and I used to go to the prayer meeting every Tuesday night, and there was only like maybe 30 of us. But this one man, Jimmy, who was from way up in the North Highlands, Every single Tuesday night, he would pray for the salvation of his wife, and he would pray with tears pouring down his face. Mm. And at one point, Jimmy took my brother and I up in his little private plane way up to the church in the Highlands where he used to go. And I remember sitting in this tiny, ancient church, sitting beside Jimmy, and he was looking at the stained glass window of Jesus bringing back the lost sheep. And I asked him, I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, of course, lass. And I said, do you ever wonder why God hasn't answered your prayers for your wife's salvation? Because I found out my mom, he'd been praying for 30 years. And he thought for a few moments, and then he said to me, "Um, he's never failed me yet, lass. I don't reckon he'll start now. Now, what he wouldn't know is that it was at his memorial service that his wife gave her life to Christ because the church was packed by people who loved Jimmy. And she saw the impact of, his faith on so many other people. Now, he wouldn't know until three years later when she died and finally showed up. But it showed me a lifetime's not too long to pray, that every prayer we pray matters. Hmm. Wow. I mean, it's, it's a convicting thing, isn't it? This idea of persistence in prayer in a culture of you know, what, what is the attention span these days? I don't know the latest stats, but it's depressing. 
it's like two minutes or something before you and I forget what we were talking about or what we were listening to. (laughs) Um, So, you know, this, this idea of long-term commitment, faithfulness, persistence, these are not virtues that are really um, celebrated today. So how are you, how are you building those muscles? Uh, that, because we never, maybe, maybe we never arrive, I suppose, but how are you doing? No, I, I don't think we do. But, I, you know, I was fascinated by the way that Jesus talked about prayer. He's got in Luke chapter 18, it's, it's the, called the parable of the persistent widow. And just even mm-hmm. the first verse, I mean, I stayed with this first verse for days. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. I mean, it doesn't get much clearer than that. We should always pray and never give up. So I found myself saying, okay, Lord, how do I, you know, how do I do that? So um, my husband and I do it differently. Barry has a, a journal by his bed and he has a list of the people that he has committed to pray for. And then at night he will go for a walk, like for an hour, um, just walks around our neighborhood and he prays faithfully for these people. And I have found um, a little place in our back garden where I, I go and I, so I have different kinds of praying. I have in the morning, I, it tends to be more just about being in God's presence. Like like the, the, my first word or my first thought would simply be, good morning, Lord. Hmm. And just being aware, acknowledging him before acknowledging anything else. But then I'll take time aside and I have mine written down in my iPhone. I have a whole list of my memo page. And it's just, what's kind of shocking to me, honestly, Joanna, is that I gave my life to Christ at 11. I'm now 63. That's 52 years of the faithfulness of God in my life. But I realize that I have not always been faithful in praying. But now, the more I studied, the more clear, it became crystal clear that praying persistently makes a difference. Refusing to give up. And and honestly, I'm not even sure it changes heaven, but it changes me. In fact, I think C.S. Lewis wrote something about that, that sometimes we think that we'll just pray and pray and change God's mind. But what I've discovered is the more I throw myself on God and the more I, I admit my the fact that. I actually, some of my friends who are speakers and authors and, you know, at the moment, I have a really hard time because it's like, you know, I'm used to going out there and speaking and I'm actually enjoying the fact that for a while God has kind of shut me up mm. because it's just, there's something that it's re-shifted or re, I don't know what the word would be, reignited my understanding of what is ministry? Is it ministry when you're on a platform or you're on a TV screen or is just being alive? And in relationship with God, ministry. And for me, for me, it's, it's, I don't know when we'll be allowed to go out again and fly and speak. You know, I have no idea. All my events so far have been canceled, but I'm discovering there's a million little ways, whether I just, like yesterday, I just picked up the phone and called a couple of people I haven't talked to in a long time just to say, hey, are, are you okay? And one of them was doing great and one of them wasn't. And it was really a, significant conversation Mm. that I just think it's reduced us to what really matters. Mm. Yeah. I love that. It's the, it's, it's making some priorities clear or even things that we didn't realize were a priority. You know, I am, uh, I've been sitting in this verse in, uh, second Timothy six, I believe it is first Timothy six, second Timothy six, I'd have to look it up. Someone can go look it up if they want to find it. But but the idea, it's this admonishment of, of young, to a young leader about not being so arrogant as to put your trust in money um, because that comes and goes. Right. Wow. Um, but, but, um, but what are we investing in? You know, are we becoming rich in good deeds, as it says in the text, um, and to build up a legacy for ourselves in the things that are true life. And I mean, as, as someone, I mean, as many people I'm sure listening, our, our income has become shifting sands for some of us, uh, in this time, some are stable and it's business as usual, but for a lot of us, you know, people have lost jobs or part of their jobs or their job might be vulnerable in the future. And it's, it clears up really quickly, doesn't it? In this time, like, Oh, I didn't realize 
uh, how much I trusted in something that I said I didn't trust in. <laughs> I mean, like I, I trusted no, in money so more than I realized. And now, and it, as you said, it's clarifying and simplifying, um, bringing us some, to some of the basics, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of brought me back to my childhood because my fa- after my, my father committed suicide when I was five and we lost our house, we lost our, lost our car, we moved into housing that was provided by the government. And my mom had three children under the age of seven and lived on what was the widow's pension, which technically wasn't enough for all the bills that she had to pay. But, but I watched the way that my mom lived. And I watched, there was a couple of things that were significant. I watched the way that she budgeted really well. And when it seemed like it was going to be a little tight, she would get all of us together and we would pray. But she always invested something back into the life of somebody else. Hmm. And it wouldn't have been a lot, but she, and there was something about that. And so in these days, all my income um, has been, probably will be for months. Oh, sorry. You just, is it okay? Are we back? Yeah. Did you see it dipped out of the, yeah, it it, dipped, but I think we're okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, sorry. Back to, maybe you could start the sentence again. You're sort of bringing you back to your childhood and, and being reminded of, of what that was. One of the things that was really impactful in my childhood was that after my father committed suicide, I was five, my sister was seven and my brother was two. And, and we, we lost our home, we lost our car and we moved into housing provided by the government. And my mom lived on what was called a widow's pension, which was not very much. But I watched the way that she handled what she had and she budgeted very carefully if it seemed like there's going to be some kind of shortfall then she would gather the three of us together and she would pray and ask for very practical things but then she always invested a little bit of something back into somebody else's life Hmm. and that was significant to me and so even in these days where for the next foreseeable few months all my events are cancelled and that's where we get all of our income so we're having to really, you know, we've canceled some things that we don't need. We've tried to really think, okay, is this an indulgence? But then we've looked at ways that we can invest a little bit back into somebody else's life. Even just like when I'm on the road, there's a girl who's a, a dog that takes care of dogs. And we suddenly thought, I bet she has no income now. So just mm-hmm. we're just investing little bits back into other people who are probably struggling more than we are. And it's just given me such a more a sense of what life is supposed to be all about. That when ministry is confined to platforms and it's to me, we've lost what the heart of ministry really is. It's being it's having eyes to see people and ears to hear and being kind of on mission 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say again, it's a quote from the, the book here. Um, when everything we used to depend on is stripped away and we are shaken to the very core of who we are, either we walk away from faith or, or we are all in, totally devoted to our wounded Savior. Uh, what does it mean to you? I mean, you've sort of already touched on, on the side about things being stripped away, but the wounded Savior piece, uh, what, what does it mean to you in this moment and maybe even in your childhood, in that, in that experience of, of your upbringing that this is in some ways reminding you? What, is, what does it mean to you that we have a wounded Savior or a suffering Christ? You know, I think one of the most beautiful illustrations, and I'm, I'm honestly blown away that Christ would allow us into this kind of intimate place, but the way he patterned for us how to pray in the most devastating places of your life. You know, that, that night um, after he'd shared that Passover meal with his, with his closest friends and then set his face to go down um, into the garden. And the fact that Jesus allowed us to see what that looked like, and he didn't pretend that this is going to be easy, I've got this because I know what's on the other side of it. There was this genuine weighty grief, the kind of weight that I don't really understand. I mean, Luke, the doctor, gives us the one detail that would be significant to him, that Christ sweat great drops of blood. And I looked that up, and it's this condition called hematohydrosis. And it still can happen around the world, but it's very rare because it's the kind of agony that I can't even imagine. But the fact that Jesus would let us see what that looks like, 
And I think the fact that he emptied himself out, I've discovered that in these days, the more I empty myself out of what's really going on, the more space that makes for grace. You know, and I try to kind of put on a brave face and hold it all together. It's like I'm almost saying I don't really need you right now. But I've been reduced to a much more, fewer words and greater honesty and greater transparency with Christ of simply saying, um, this is scary to me. This is, um, I don't understand. You know, I see what's happening in some of my friends' lives. And it's as if their life wasn't, one of my closest friends, she has three boys, her husband has a brain tumor. And Wow. You know, his his treatment has been shut off at the moment because it's seen as, you know, it's not COVID-19. So he and I'm like, really, Lord? So I just think in this time, it, it determines what do I honestly believe? Do I honestly believe that no matter what happens, God is good and God is in control? Or do I only embrace that when life makes sense? And so I, I've moved from a place of kind of confidence to a place of worship, because hmm. I think we we can worship without getting all the answers. Hmm. Wow, I, I've never heard that said that way before. We can moving from confidence to worship. I love that. Um, I mean, you you write in the book. I think people will resonate with this. That there's there's these one word prayers you pray, you know, thing when, when we don't have words, uh, we said in sort of earlier, you know, we can look to the Psalms. I think there's maybe, maybe you have some other ideas of other prayers or prayer books, um, of written prayers of, you said over the history of the church. I wonder if you have any suggestions for us, but then I'd love to hear some of your one word prayers. People, you know, I'm thinking of these busy parents, overwhelmed, stressed, especially mm-hmm. like just, you need, sometimes this one word is all you have, but, but do you, do you have, um, any uh, other than the Psalms, are there any, um, references through the history of the church of prayers that others have prayed that you'd recommend? Mm. This book here, A Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey, is Mm. absolutely phenomenal. Um, It's been updated. It's more than a million copies in print. I mean, it's had to be updated. But it's the thing I love about it is for every single day, like this is an evening prayer, every single day for 30 days there's a morning prayer and then space for you to write out your own prayers and then an evening prayer and very, very thought-provoking stuff. Mm. But when I back even to people like um, like Augustine and Athanasius, and Athanasius said that prayer is the spiritual gym. It's where you work out your soul. And there's just so much that I've been learning from people that um, – that struggle just like we do with prayer, and yet who um, absolutely have written down, you know, this is what I have learned. And I even think of, I think I use it in the book, but Peter, when he was, you know, he was always the one who'd be like, I'm all in, Lord, I've got this, I totally got this. And that night when they're in this devastating storm at sea, and it must have been quite a storm because they're fishermen, they're used to storms blowing up in the Sea of Galilee all the time. But on this particular night, it was so violent, and they suddenly see a figure walking toward them. In those days, they believed that spirits lived in the water, so they think it's the ghost until they realize it's Jesus. So Peter says, if it is you, ask me to come out and join you. And so Jesus said, come. And I'm sure the rest of the disciples are like, are you nuts? Because he steps out of the boat into this swirling maelstrom of sea. And Peter's doing great for a minute. And then, you know, like you and I, he looks down. And his only prayer at that point is two words, help me. And Jesus immediately reaches out. And when I read that again, I mean, I've read that, you know, for years But it reminded me of, you know, at 34, when my life collapsed and I ended up in a psych hospital and all my great prayers, my years in seminary on that night, as I lay on the floor of my room, the only two words I could squeeze out were help me. And I have to say, John, I've never felt God's presence closer than if I actually wrote in the back of my Bible, I never knew you lived so close to the floor. Because I was so used to worshiping God in his majesty. But but I discovered the truth of Psalm 34, where David says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I wondered so often, I wonder how many of my words were just a blockage when God was just looking for my presence. 
Mm, wow. Wow. Well, and, and, you know, there's so many types of prayers for different types of moments. Um, there's these, as you say, there's these moments where we just need the on the floor, help me prayers. And then there's these moments where, as you, as you've said, you know, these prevailing persistent prayers that feel like a lot of work. You know, I've, I've heard it said that in the Jewish tradition, on the Sabbath day, on the day of rest, you aren't allowed to do intercessory prayers because it's work. Wow. Wow. And so you, there's other kinds of prayers you can pray of, you know, Thanksgiving and whatever, but, but, uh, but, but there's an acknowledgement in the Jewish tradition that prayer is work and we don't often frame it that way. Um, and I think it would be helpful because then when it feels bad, at least we understand why <laughs> that's hard work sometimes. <laughs> I love that. Actually, I did not know that. That's really interesting, but yeah, it is hard work and it takes kind of commitment and, and honestly too, it's, it has its own learning curve. You know, I'm thinking of somebody listening in and thinking, well, I mean, I'm clueless start where you are. I mean, I remember back to my early days, I was probably about 16 to 17 in my church and our youth group was very small at like 10 people. And I remember one night we're sitting in a prayer circle and our youth leader said, okay, I'm going to pray. And if anybody else wants to pray, they can, but, but don't think you have to. But he prays, and then the person next, so it kind of does go that way, and then it comes to me, and I pray. And then there's a silence, and I realized that the guy sitting beside me, George, he's only been a Christian for like two or three weeks. So I'm about to lean over and say to him, hey, George, you don't have to pray when he dives in. And I'll never forget his prayer. It was like, you know, Jesus, thank you for your blood that washes cleaner than tithe or purzel. And somebody across the circle. <laughs> so good. I know, because somebody across the circle says, you can't talk to God like that. He's not your buddy. And I mean, I nearly punched the guy out because I was like, that's the most real authentic prayer of the night. You know, that's George's experience. You know, he used to do drugs on the street and now he feels cleaner than Tide or Purcell. But I think you just, you start where you are and know that God, God is not looking for perfect words. You know, Bunyan said, it's better to have a heart with no words than words with no heart. Oh, I love that too. Well, and I, I learned so much even, I'm, I'm not a mom myself, but I have a lot of nieces and nephews and I have 12 nieces and nephews. And I love if I ever get to hear them pray, the, th <laughs> the types of things that are on their prayer list, you know, yeah. the things that they're thankful for, the things that, you know, some of them are profound. Um, some of them are silly and nonsensical, you know, which is probably true of us too. We just think we're more sophisticated, but, but <laughs> But, you know, sometimes the prayers of a kid are, it's this childlike faith. They're so profound and simple, um, you know, but then there's all, there's these things that can happen in life that disillusion us about prayer, you know, prayers that haven't been answered. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so, I mean, first, you know, maybe I'll just say, are there some prayers in your life that haven't yet been answered that you've been praying a long time? Maybe you don't want to share what they are, but does that connect to you? And then what would you say to others uh, who are it, in that place. Yeah, yeah. it does. Um, but the thing you said about the kid is so true. A friend of mine sent me this text two nights ago. Um, our son was praying, and I don't know how old Clyde is. He's maybe six or something. But he's, he was praying, and he ended up saying, thank you, Jesus, good night. Oh, and by the way, say hello to your dad for me. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so sweet. But, yeah, I, and it's interesting because I alluded to this in the book, but I didn't have an answer yet. So I, I didn't put it in. Um, but I recently, two months ago, got an answer. Mm. One of the things that has bothered me all my life is that because we lived in a small town in Scotland, because my father committed suicide, it was seen as this great shame. Um, so we left the town and my dad was buried in an unmarked grave. And we just went on and we never talked about him. And it really, really, really bothered me. And then, and at one point I flew home to Scotland and I tried to find where he was buried and I, and I couldn't. So it's been kind of this, maybe I'll never find out, maybe I'll never be able to acknowledge that he was even here. But two years ago when my mum died and I flew home and my sister said, you know, mum wants to be buried with her mum and dad. And I was like, okay, that's great. And, you know, we kind of designed the stone and when I got home, Francis, my sister, took a picture of the gravestone and sent it to me. 
And honestly, I felt like I'd been stabbed in the heart because there was my grandfather, my grandmother, and my mom. And I'm like, where's my dad? And the hard thing is in our family, we don't, we've never talked about it. It was such a, a big deal. Like my sister and I, she knows that I've written about it. She knows that I've, and she'll say, I, I really admire honesty, but I don't want to think about it. So six months ago, my sister staying with me and she said to me, suddenly she'd asked me a question she'd never asked before. She said, um, Sheila, if there was one thing that I could do for you, what would that be? I was like, oh gosh. And then I thought, why not? So I said, could you find out where our dad is buried? And she said, yes, I could. And what I didn't know was that my mom had given her the papers to where my dad is buried. And so she found a place and we had a stone built. And now it's there. And it says, you know, Francis Walsh, beloved husband of Elizabeth and father of Francis, Sheila and Stephen. And I can't tell you what that means to me. And it wasn't something that, I mean, I prayed about it for years and years, and I never thought I would really get an answer. But the fact that God cares about all the little details of our lives is just amazing to me. Wow. Wow. Oh, thank you for sharing. I didn't expect you to share such a real story with a bunch of strangers. So thank you so much. I mean, I know that that's going to connect with so many people who are listening. And I mean, that's why, that's why we, why we love you and why, why I want more people to know if they don't already know who you are to, to get connected to your life and your work, your writing and your speaking, because, uh, your story is real. Uh, you're not trying to, to gloss over the real pain and struggles. You know, we all have them, you know, my own dad in this time, he's in a nursing home. Uh, and he doesn't really, you know, and in, and in this time of the virus, you know, it's it's a scary time for those in nursing homes. And because he, amongst other things, he has dementia. And so he doesn't, he knows that, he knows enough to know that my family isn't there with him, but not enough to know why. So there's these feelings of, of abandonment and that he's been, he says he's been forgotten, you know, and all these horrible things. And so, uh, you know, we thought last year he would die and he didn't. And so I'm trusting that the Lord uh, has a reason for his life to continue. His quality of life is low, uh, but he continues in, in some form of living. And, you know, a year ago I was by his bedside and he was suffering, you know, and I, and I was, my prayer was something like, I, sa- I think I even said it out loud. It was just he and I, he was in his hospital bed and I was beside him. And I said to the Lord, God have mercy on us. And what I meant by that was, would you let him die? Mm-hmm. Um, I meant, would you relieve him of his suffering? Yeah. And it was one of these moments where I heard loudly in response in my head, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Joanna, don't you know that this is my mercy? And it felt like he was trying to say to me that even suffering can be a gift in some way. That there's something, I, I really ultimately what, what I felt it was saying to me was, don't you see there's something in purpose and to learn even in this? That wow. story, you know, the story of Christianity, the symbol of our faith is a cross. It's a, it's a suffering Jesus. <laughs> the symbol is something, so there's something tied into our prayer and him crying out in prayer on the cross. There's something mm-hmm. about not going we don't always get to avoid the suffering. Sometimes we go right on through it. And that is his intention that the, the gift is in some strange, not in an abusive, you know, child abuse kind of way, but there's something about the gift of the suffering too, or that there is at least something to be found in it. Um, and I see that in you, right? How that is, how your, the suffering and the things that have happened have, have shaped you, um, as a leader, as a speaker, as a, as a woman. Um, I love that story with your sister. And, and so to, and today has, how do I mean, your sister had this all these years and didn't realize maybe that it mattered to you. Um, 
And so was that significant to her as well? Or it was more, I mean, for you as sisters, it was really more for, for you than it was for her. No, it actually has proved to be something really significant for the three of us, for my mm -hmm. brother as well. Because um, when she said, yeah, I can do that. And, and I said, do you think Stephen would want to be part of it? And she said, I'll ask him. And so when, when the stone was finally erected, he lives in England and Francis lives in Scotland. But um, she, she FaceTimed me after she'd sent me the photograph. And she said, I didn't expect this. But when I went to see this stone, I, I found myself weeping, but it felt like healing tears. And she said, and Stephen too, he's so grateful. And wow. it's so funny because sometimes it's thing that we just, we don't want to talk about because we think it will be too painful and it will stir things up. But sometimes there's just, I don't know, there's a gift in acknowledging the fact that we do serve a wounded savior. And that somehow, and it's maybe more, in America than in Canada, but that we've made Jesus into some kind of white Republican, you know, and rather than this person, you know, who, who was a Jew, you know, and who suffered and struggled and was, you know, was abandoned and, and saw the poor and saw the broken and saw the prostitute. And, you know, there's just, I think it's good to be reminded that this is whose footsteps we're walking in. Yeah. And I think when we, when we, it's, it's a chicken or egg thing. When we have a better, a clearer, truer perception of who Jesus is, I think it helps us to pray. It wants, we want to pray more when we know who Jesus is. But then at the same time, through prayer, we can learn who he is. It's, it's a back and forth dance, I think, where I think a lot of the time we avoid prayer because we have this perception of God that isn't real. It's, it's yeah. a God that's angry or a God that's disappointed or... Um, just a God that's so serious all the time and he's no fun, you know, it feels just like it's, it's not enjoyable work. It's just hard work. Um, but I think he wants, he wants to, to show us who he really is. I mean, what would you, you know, as we, we probably need to close off our time here, but, um, you know, just as an encouragement to people who are, who are listening to this, um, uh, you know, what in this, in this season, in this sort of unusual moment of history. What's your encouragement for people as they pray? You know, when I was 18, um, I was going off to seminary in London from a small fishing town in Scotland, and I had eight weeks, and I thought, I, I would like to volunteer at something in the town before a leap. So I, I chose to volunteer at the senior centre, and I would go in every day and serve teas and coffees and lunch and play games. And But there was this one gentleman I could never reach. He would sit with his back to the wall, and I had to take his lunch to him in a tray. He wouldn't communicate with anyone else. So one day after I'd given him his lunch, I decided to sit beside him. And I said to him, you know, hello, my name is Sheila, and I was born in this town, but one day I'm going to go to North America. And his face lit up like he just won the lottery. And he said to me, I'm from America, I'm from Poughkeepsie. And I said, <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I had no idea what Poughkeepsie was. But, but from that point on, all summer, we became just like the best of friends. And every day when I showed up at the center, and some days I had to take two buses to get there, and sometimes I'd be a little later. But the minute I walked through the door, no matter what was going on and no matter who else was talking, he would cry out, she came. And that's kind of how I feel about God. That's kind of how I feel about God at the moment, that when we, in the midst of everything that's not working and everything that's hard and everything we don't understand, just maybe just pull a chair in the middle of the room and sit down. And I feel like all of heaven cries out over us. She came. You came. But I think don't look for perfect words. Don't look for anything. Just sit in God's presence and let him love you. Hmm. Wow. Sheila, as, as expected, this was a delight. <laughs> I'm oh, so grateful for Thank you, for this Joanna. Um, I'm so grateful for you know, this time with you and, and, you know, just rich words coming from a life that was, uh, is, is laid out before God, you know, and, and offered to, to, to do ministry. I mean, you're doing ministry here, even if you, if you aren't able to, to be on stages as normal, um, you know, their ministry, as you've said, is, is so rich in so many other ways. So, um, how will people find you find your book, um, and get a hold of some of your content? 
Um, SheilaWalsh.com is my website, and that, that has a lot of access to things. Um, there's a free Bible, eight-week Bible study on there. Um, on Facebook, I'm just Sheila Walsh Connect, and Instagram, which is where you'll see lots of pictures of my two dogs, is Sheila Walsh One. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure your dogs are happy that you're home so much. I've heard a lot of dog owners are saying their dogs are just so delighted. <laughs> it's so true. And yet my son, who has a cat, says, my cat is totally over me. The cat's like, <laughs> go, go. <laughs> oh, man. This, yeah, the introvert versus extrovert creatures. Oh, man. Sheila, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Joanna. I loved it. Thanks so much, Sheila. I loved having her back on the podcast. It was great to connect with her and just to lean in and consider prayer and how we can be better at communicating with God. Next up on the podcast, next week we have Mark Clark. Do you know Mark Clark? He's the senior pastor of Village Church. It's just outside of Vancouver, Canada. They got sites around the Vancouver area and beyond. Their goal is to plant churches in every major city in Canada, but he's an author and a speaker. He's done a bunch of course training stuff with Kerry Newhoff. Maybe you've seen him on that. And one of his books is The Problem of God, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to Christianity. So I had the chance to sit down with him right before the pandemic, and we're going to dive in next week into to all things around apologetics and training leaders and growing the church in a post-Christian culture. So dive in next week with Mark Clark and I. You're going to love it. Thanks to Compassion and to Wycliffe, of course, for sponsoring and partnering with this podcast. Go to compassion.ca slash COVID to donate today. Small or big donation, anything can help in this huge global fight we're doing against a pandemic that's really not just affecting us, but affecting people all over the world. And you can go to wickliffecollege.ca slash digital if you're looking to grow in your biblical knowledge, your theology, your discipleship, and how to be really a better leader, creative, and communicator in the age that we live in. So check out those links in the show notes. And hey, one last link is that Digital Church Facebook group. I would love for you to join it. Join us as leaders all across the world who are connecting, sharing, growing, and um, really just um, building a community all around this topic of digital church. Okay, see you next week with Mark Clark. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode, rate it, and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.